Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the latest podcast series from the Podcast Wing, kicking off with the ADF. And it's a podcast series we hope will be long running all the way to the Euros. It is called Eurowatch. Me and my fellow host Ritik Sakai will be discussing the Euros every single fortnight up until the competition begins. We'll be bringing in different teams and discussing their what, what they need to change, their hopes of the Euros, their odds, and how their recent international results have been going on. Ritik, how are you today? Well, I am doing well, Alex. Um, I'll tell you who I'm doing better than. I'm doing better than uh, fans of uh, Liverpool FC. Now, terrible Merseyside draw, bad VAR, and the prospect of Virgil van Dijk being out for half the season, possibly more. But uh, it's been a good time for one of the teams we're going to discuss today, and that is Portugal. Portugal indeed. Portugal and England will be the teams. England will be very topical, especially based off that little incident that Rittix mentioned today, as uh, Virgil van Dijk was, uh, well, borderline assaulted from England's number one goalkeeper for now, Jordan Pickford. Uh, we'll be getting into both teams today in the short little podcast for you, discussing what they need to change. And I'm going to give a little spoiler, I think one of these teams is in way better shape than the other. Ritik, where would you like to start? Well, it's, it's down to what the expectations are of both these teams. If Portugal and you have England, you have young players, you have a bit of experience, you have players who can play a dynamic style of football. Most of them are reaching their peak or are at their peak. Um, and they're definitely, you know, the dark horses. And it seems very strange saying that since Portugal are the defending champions, but given their lackluster performance in the last World Cup in Russia, it's it's a bit of a reset for Fernando Santos's men. And you know, doubts were raised about Santos after the World Cup, but he has responded in kind. Portugal now have a full team the likes of which I probably haven't seen since the era of um, Deco and Figo all the way back in 2014. 2004, sorry. And the common factor between both of them is one Cristiano Ronaldo. Obviously, he is the ace up their sleeve, but if recent performances are anything to go by, um, Portugal might be able to make it without him in a pinch. Do you think this will be his last Euros? Uh, it is likely to be his last Euros. I I see him playing the World Cup. I don't see him playing. I, I don't see him not playing the World Cup. I mean, he's he's sunbathing and he's jogging and he's exercising and he's COVID positive right now. Um, this the, 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 there is no sort of sensible logic that follows this man. This man is the pinnacle of human achievement. He is a pinnacle of fitness. And he can still run, he can still shoot, he can still score. He's still playing great for Juventus, still kicking it at the highest level. And he's the kind of difference maker. And, you know, we've seen in past international tournaments, Ronaldo loves a challenge. When the chips are down, this is the man who will come back up. Man's only scored three goals versus Spain, but all of them came in one single World Cup game. This is still probably one of the top five players in the world. And, you know... Uh, the last series of Ballon d'Or nominations and where they placed don't really do the man justice. Cristiano Ronaldo is still a behemoth of the game. He's the single greatest performer in uh, international European football, possibly of all time. We may not, we, um, I don't know, there might be a lot of discussion on that, but um, sitting Ronaldo aside, uh, Portugal has a lot going for it. Um, Fernando Santos is someone who isn't really renowned for his tactical mouse. 
but what he's managed to do since the well almost banterous win um during their last euros and you know we won't say that with any quotation marks it was it was it, it, it was lucky they came third in their group but still went through that 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 notwithstanding um they've got a very good uh, they've got a very good team you know stopped the bottom they've got experience in the likes of Rui Patricio, Cristiano Ronaldo, Jean Moutinho if needed and Pepe and they've also got um you know the young blood they've got people like Ashaf Ferish they've got people like Bernardo Silva um and you know while they might not be like super young and fresh it's there's still young players who have been playing at the highest level because that's what you want from young players representing your national team you want those sort of prodigal players who can really punch above their weight and reach you know the national level having done well for their clubs and it's it follows suit from there i mean you have um you have a good backline which is both filled with experience and talent you have midfield options in defensive midfield, a, re- a region that Portugal really had trouble in before with the likes of Ricardo Carvalho, Paris Saint-Germain's Danilo Pereira, Wolves' Ruben Neves. And going ahead, you also have attacking firepower in the, fa- in the likes of Bernardo Silva, uh, Gonzalo Guedes, Bruno Fernandes. Um, going front, um, you know, you have Diogo Jota, you have Andre Silva, but it's, it's, it's an area they could look at. But speaking of strengths, um, you know, England do have, it segues nicely, England and Portugal do have a very similar problem, but it's a problem that's being approached in different ways. Portugal have an enormous depth at right back, as do England. Portugal Portugal have to choose from when they're all fit, Ricardo Pereira, Cedric Suarez, Ruben Semedo, and Shaw Cancelo. And they also have the likes of Rafael Guerrero on the left wing, left uh, left back position. And um, you know, it's 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 similar with England. England have Kieran Trippier, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Kyle Walker, Reese James, and if they need him, um, Aaron Wan-Bissaka. So you know, barring barring the right back depth, where do England really look like they can cause the most damage, Alex? To be honest with England, dang- causing danger is probably their biggest issue at the moment. I would say. I mean, in recent performances, they've been lining up with a back three. I know in England that is being the number one thing talked about. And you know what? You can't overestimate it. It's been shocking to watch. I've been unfortunate to have been making some notes and watching England beat Iceland, Denmark twice, and Belgium, and Wales. And Wales is probably the only game that was somewhat sufferable. This is because England... Seem to be, well, I say England, let's be honest, it's more Gareth Southgate. He seems to be putting a lot of emphasis on pragmatism. A lot of journalists and uh, some big pundits, someone like Gary Lineker, he heralded the victory against Belgium recently, the 2-1 win, because in Belgium were the supposed number one ranked nation in the world. But watching the game, England were so lucky to get away with anything. They scored. One... It's almost like they never build, never build from a position of strength. Mm-hmm. It's always coming from a position of weakness. I mean, this is a team that was exciting in the World Cup, albeit fortunate. And it just seemed that that fun has gone away a little bit. I know Dali Ali and uh, Lingard are pretty <laughs> far away from the team, but they've they've they've, they've got that young talent. It's funny you mention that. See, England have actually gone through a two-year period of. Really, some good international performances. Straight after the World Cup, Gareth Southgate dropped the three at the back of formation. Not many people seem to realise this, but 
They played the first game, uh, first game of the UEFA Nations League. It was against Spain. They played the three at the back, and it went really badly. So Southgate, I believe, even publicly came out and said he is dropping the three at the back for England. In the twenty or so fixtures after that, England played a four-three-three, and it was generally Eric Dyer or Declan Rice playing at the base of midfield. But something's changed this year. This could be due to Eric Dyer transitioning more into a centre back and Southgate trying to crowbar him into the side, but. You got to think it's maybe a bit more than that. We've gone from after looking at a lot of the lineups for England, they have gone from games where they would play like the Czech Republic, and they did play Spain and Croatia with, I believe it was Jordan Henderson and James Madison. Quote me if I'm wrong. Uh, in the front two of the midfield with Declan Rice or Eric Dyer behind them, and they've transitioned from that with at the back you've got Kaya Walker. Kieran Trippier at left-back, Harry Maguire, Eric Dyer, Connor Cody, and then in midfield, Calvin Phillips and Declan Rice. That's the likes of seven defenders. And, and it's then... like you're playing you're playing three right-backs when you have players oh, like Saka, yeah. like Ainsley Maitland-Niles. You have people who can use their left foot. It and it, and it, it, it it's it's almost a similar problem to Man United. It's the when you have build-up plates all being shunted to the center because no one's going on their left foot and just yes. uh, and and just stretching the play to the other side as well. And it, it almost seems a little it's it almost seems a little sad because I remember during the World Cup you had Kieran Trippier and even the likes of Ashley Young just bombing down, bombing down, and you know cutting in crosses. And this is this is something that really really doesn't ring to me for Gareth Southgate. You know Gareth Southgate's had this. Uh, process of ridding England of sort of like the older guard players. You know, you're obviously they've done it to themselves. Um, people like Wayne Rooney, etc. But uh, you you have someone like Ashley Young. He's performed really well at Inter Milan. He's been putting in cross at left, right, and center. He plays a back three formation. I think what what it really surprises me is that so many of these players barely play a back three formation. I believe at a starting lineup, you could you could only say with confidence that Connor Cody is the only one who comfortably plays in a back three formation. Like even Kieran Trippier plays in the back four at Atletico Madrid. None of these guys play a back three. It, 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 it almost makes sense. It almost feels like Gareth Southgate's Preventing for a goal being conceded rather than pushing forward, because as you as you alluded to, you have seven you have seven defensive players. How in the world are Kane and Rashford supposed to get the ball? Are they supposed to drop back deep to midfield and magically hope by the time they come up, the more players will be supporting it's them? It's a really it's a really interesting point you bring up there. It allows me to pivot in something a bit more system based. So this is probably the foundational problem of England's results right now. You said the players aren't really used to playing in the back three. In fact, if you look at England's starting eleven, this is the thing that confuses most fans. England are tending to play the likes of Sterling, Jaden Sancho, Mason Mount, uh, Harry Kane. Not just that, you've got Phil Foden, Jordan Henderson, Harry Winks, Calvin Phillips as well. You've got all these players who generally thrive off having more of the ball. So it really makes anti-sense almost to put them in a system, a three-at-the-back system, with seven defenders where they're effectively giving up the ball most of the time and playing in the counter-attack. You know. Raheem Sterling and Sancho, they aren't the sort of players who are used to playing in a team that's almost like Sheffield United. In fact, the only sort of system, the only sort of only players that the system really helps is Declan Rice and yes, like you mentioned, Connor Cody. They're the only players who are used to playing so far out of possession. And it kind of makes you think that England seem to be harbouring their underdog identity, kind of like the World Cup where 
They had all the momentum going forward for them. No one really expected anything yet. Because of their back three, because of their pragmatism, they were able to rise up a bit more and build their confidence. But England now have the players, some of the players in the, the best in the world, like Kane and Sterling, where they should be commanding possession. And in the last two years, when they have done that, against the likes of Spain and Croatia, it's paid off really well for them. So it does make you wonder why are they not doing it right now? Yeah, it's it's an interesting point you bring that 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 up of the you know these players who are in possession based systems. But where I always bring it down to England is that, and this this also pivots into my whole um, thought process about Eric Dyer, who isn't the best central defensive midfielder, and he wasn't the biggest best centre back, but yet he's being played for both Spurs and England and. To be honest, I don't really see him as anything more than, yes, functional. Um, because here's the problem. I, I, I think Michael Carrick, and correct me if I'm wrong, this is the kind of last kind of player, Michael Carrick or maybe even Scotty Parker, way back when. England don't have that deep-lying playmaker. It really hurt them against Croatia. Because I remember when England got the advantage of the goal with Trippier's free kick. You had Jordan Henderson almost alone having to mop up against Luka Modric and Ivan Rakitic. And these are, these, are start, these are starting midfielders and stars for Real Madrid and Barcelona. And he's the, and, you know, bless his soul, he is in a fantastic water-carrying midfielder. He, he knows his, his tactical acumen a lot better. But he's not the best defensive midfielder in the world. And it's, it's, it's almost a sense of, like, the, the, the archetypal defensive midfielder needs to be this, you know, strong, brutish presence. To be honest, Declan Rice and Calvin Phillips don't feel like that either. Declan Rice has had a lot of opportunities for England. And I think you'd, you'd agree with me. He's, he's one of those players who really hasn't pushed it for the national team. You know, even the likes of Jaden Sancho or Trent Alexander-Arnold. These are players who've been given chances for England and it's not been working out. So the question lies, does Southgate say, hey, this is my system, move around it? Or does Southgate see the sheer wealth of talent and youth in his team and say, okay, I'm going to work to their best strengths? Because I feel like, I feel like a national team manager always has that toss-up because a national team always used if they have one manager they usually play with that one identity they don't really switch it up too much yeah Joachim Lerp pretty much plays 4-2-3-1 whenever he can he switches up to 4-3-3 that's comfortable going back to 4-2-3-1 so wh wh where do you see that deep line playmaker and who do you see sort of you know occupying that role maybe like what Pogba does for France um, and, you, and you mentioned all these players like Sancho and you know Sterling and Kane the thriving of passes from players like Rodriguez like players like um, Gundogan even from players like um, uh, Fabinho who plays really good long balls it's it's who where do you feel like this deep line playmaker access is something that England's lacking because this is something I'm seeing for a good sure. point. I would say that England the England only really have two players who can fulfill any sort of form of a deep line playmaker role and we'll get into more per like more of a personnel issue a bit later in the podcast because uh, there's a lot to go through of England like to Pickford and etc but the I think the only play one player we should focus on like England should keep track of especially is kind of the backup to Declan Rice at the moment but Calvin Phillips he started really well for Leeds and he's not just a a positive defensive midfielder but early on this season he's been spraying some really good balls forward. He clearly has a bit more of a passing eye than Declan Rice has at the moment. So perhaps he could force his way in. But maybe as well as a Harry Winks, however, his ability can be questioned at times. It is a good point. We need to, England do need to look at that sort of role. But if we look at Portugal for a second, I did want to bring up about Portugal's system. See, from the outset, 
Portugal have a lot of talented players as well who are probably used to more possession system. We're thinking Ronaldo, Bernardo, Silva. But in a possession system and that sort of thing, you want to have a high line. Now, Portugal seem to be sticking with Pepe at centre-back. At the age of 37, I mean, if you've been able to watch any of the highlights, I know some international fixtures recently, they've been hard to watch or get a hold of, but how are Portugal playing with Pepe at the moment? I'm glad you brought that up. I'm glad you brought that up. And this is one of the points I really wanted to address because along with centre-forward, that centre-back position has, has, has been something that's been a huge problem for Fernando Santos. If you cast your minds back to the Euros or even the World Cup, you had Pepe and Jose Fontling. Now, these are both players, for our listeners, who are 36 and older. Now, Pepe went to, uh, I think it was Besiktas, and it was uh, people thought it was, it was done. He went from Real Madrid to Besiktas, he's throwing his career away. Came back to Porto and won the league. Um, and it, it almost seemed like the good old days. You had Iko Casillas and Pepe in your back line. And Pepe is playing like a man 10 years younger than him. He's still running. He's still heading the ball. He's still mopping up. He's still being that sort of defensive presence so that players like Ruben Diaz can go forward. Um, Pepe can do that because he has the experience of having played at a high European level, game in, game out. He's the kind of player that, you know, midfielders, if they lose the ball, say, okay, you know what, Pepe... Pepe will mop up. I'll, I'll, I'll come back in case he needs a quick pass. England don't have that. England aren't at that stage just yet. Because even if you look at England's most um, consistently performing European team, Liverpool, who are, their, who are their English players? There's Trent Alexander-Arnold and there's James Miller, who doesn't really play for either the national team or the league team. There's Joe Gomez and Jordan Henderson. And none of these players really scream that kind of, you know, demanding presence. And it's, it's I mean, and, and Joe Gomez also wasn't, mind you, the, the centre-back with whom they won uh, the Euros, I mean, the European Champions League. That, that was a certain Deshaun Lovren. And you saw last season, especially against Atletico, it's, it's you know, it's, 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 it's Joe Gomez has the capacity to get rinsed. He's not that kind of behemoth, central defensive presence and you're very right in in England you have players who are kind of leaders you have your Harry Maguire's and you have your Connor Cody's but I think it'll be up to Southgate to designate you know a midfield leader and say okay you know this is the vocal guy this is the one who the first pass from Jordan Pickford hopefully not Pickford will go to um and yeah that 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 is that is why it's experience is invaluable in a national team Players like Pepe, players like Ronaldo, players like João Martinho. These are players who are like 36 at, at the minimum. But their experience is so crucial that their lack of pace is made up by that tactical acumen, their, their ability to spot the pass, and the confidence of players to say, oh, you know, these guys will do it. I need to get myself into a position. Whereas with England, you see, okay, I have the ball. I'm, I'm going to go a little ahead. I'm going to try and fake it. No, I'm going to go back and I'm going to pass to the right. And then you have players like James Madison. You have players like Jack Relish. These are amazing, creative players. And they're being made glorified water carriers from midfield to attack. And it's that, it's that, it's that disconnect. If it's not happening from the center, let it happen from the wings. But that's kind of not happening either. And it's, it, it's, it's also a position of who performs for England and who doesn't. The players who are consistently performing in England shirts, like you mentioned Calvin Phillips, you know, he's done very well with all the opportunities given, and he's, to be fair, he's earned it. 
I'll, I'll, I'll say that much. He earned it. His first call-up, you know, was a bit of a question mark considering how Southgate had told Jagrelish previously, previously that he's not in the team because he needs, um, he needs Premier League experience. And then immediately plays Mason Mount, who had just starred for Chelsea, but now he plays Calvin Phillips. But, you know, it's, 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 this, it's this thing of him, him wanting to stick to a system which doesn't need a CAM. But if it doesn't, then you should just play an in, in, inverted pyramid 4-3-3 it's, and play something like Portugal does. <laughs> and Portugal play a modified 4-1-4-1 or a 4-3-3 with players like uh, Rico, uh, with, uh, with Carvalho or maybe even Neves or Moutinho dropping deep and letting players like Bernardo Silva, Schaufelisch push up, letting those players come into the centre so that the wing uh, strength from Rafael Guerrero, João Cancelo, Ricardo Pereira come up. And then you have this sort of merged forward situation where either one of Diogo Jota, Andre Silva, or Cristiano Ronaldo can just come and hit it. It's sorry, I was going to butt in. So that, that's quite interesting. The players you're mentioning about um, uh, Daniela Pereira, William Carvalho, and also yeah, I know you mentioned Jao Martinho and Pepe. One of the things I was going to ask: there seems to be, as well as the sheer amount of experience, the wealth of experience within Portugal, there's a lot of younger players that I've had an eye on who have started to rise up and hit PK. I mean, I was going to bring up, especially anybody who watches Ligue 1, Renato Sanchez had an excellent start to the season. He's had a brilliant start. And is he? do you think he could force his way in? Or is uh, Fernando Santos going to really stick with his No, he, Sanchez players? is definitely going to keep Sanchez in his plans because Sanchez is now playing a different role to what he played in uh, the Euro-winning team. And uh, to cast, cast the viewers' minds back um, to 2016, the glorious times before COVID, um, <coughs> you, had, um, you had Renato Sanchez being one of the players of the tournament, the y- best young player of the tournament, and um, winning the Golden Boy Award. And then he soon fell off the face of the earth. Went to Bayern Munich, didn't work out. Went to Swansea for loan, didn't work out. Went to, um, went to Lille and he's been doing much better there. He saw, almost thrives off of having lesser expectation. I, felt, I feel like the expectation unburdened him a lot. And when he's come back now, he's, he's almost got that position of facilitator who can get the ball quickly from a Neves, a Pereira, um, a Carvalho. Get the ball and get it quicker to the um, to the white players, or even if you know someone like Andre Silva, Diogo Jota is dropping in closer. There's definitely there's definitely space for him to be in the team, and it, he's still 21, 22. He has so much of his career ahead of him, and I I, I really love the redemption story for him. But well, you've mentioned how he rose up with Portugal's Golden Boy Award. It has kind of invoked a feeling within me. It was something I was going to get onto. Uh, you've mentioned a lot about how some players in England have failed to impress. And I think that's actually quite the, I mean, you've brought up coronavirus, so I'll use the word. It's quite the pandemic within the England squad that England players really just can't, they really struggling to perform. So we've mentioned Jaden Sancho. He has scored two goals and got four assists in 14 appearances for England. Now, on the face of it, it doesn't sound horrific, but you've got to consider that these performances have been against Montenegro. Uh, against Czech Republic, against like against some teams that against Minos, yes, he should be able to rack up some goals or assists. It should be a lot easier, and the fact he hasn't is quite alarming. And then you also have, uh, for example, Raheem Sterling. As we know in the last World Cup, he struggled quite significantly, and he hasn't. He's done okay with his goals. I believe he's notched up around ten goals and assists, but you would still kind of expect more, like he said, against the Minos. 
And then Marcus Rashford as well recently. He looks to have struggled within the England team. There's plenty of players that uh, think of Tahoya Tan, like Harry Maguire as well. Uh, they, they really seem to be suffering from confidence. And of course, that brings us straight into Jordan Pickford. I know the spotlight has been on him, especially as of today, as we have recorded a few hours after he's alleged assault on Virgil van Dijk. <laughs> Jordan Pickford is the most error-prone goalkeeper in the Premier League. It's and comical me, at this point. I'm, I'm just going to, for you, Ritik, and some of the listeners, I'm just going to get this error chart. How many errors do you think Kepa Rizabalaga has committed since the start of last season? Since the start of last season? I'd say eight. Eight? No, it's four. Two okay. have been, uh, two have led to goals, and two have led to shots. Okay, mm. now Edison, who is a player who's always under pressure in the Manchester City team, like he's consistently being pressed back, he's consistently getting the ball at his feet, and also he has had a few major blips. He has had seven errors since the start of last season. Okay, I believe it was four of them led to goals, and three of them led to shots. Jordan Pickford, if we count today, has nine. Nine? Nine errors. My, my. <laughs> nine How errors in just so over well a year. In spite of him. Honestly, Everton, if they drop Jordan Pickford, they could actually win the league. It's not even a hot take anymore. He's that bad. I, I honestly think he is one of the worst goalkeepers in the league. But the most astounding fact is, maybe this is a point about Gareth Southgate, his loyalty to Pickford, it just is, it, he can't get rid of it. Pickford continues to play at the start, even though players like Nick Pope, who is a direct comparison, probably the number one contender besides Dean Henderson if he was to get minutes, fully England goalkeeping spot. Nick Pope, if I get my little chart up, has committed three errors and conceded one penalty. And he was, easily, he was easily the, high, uh, the standout goalkeeper um, of last season. Yes. In the yes. Premier League. Burnley, Burnley had one of the best defensive records, as they usually do. But Pickford, Pickford in, in particular, was, was very commanding. And it's interesting you bring the point about Henderson. And Henderson is, is someone who, you know, a full disclosure here to our listeners, I am a Man United fan. Henderson does deserve to start for United. But even as a substitute for United, I think Henderson could do the job for England. He needs to be given a chance. Because the problem is, if you keep playing Pickford, and he's, he's, he's dog shit till the Euros start. And then you're going with Pickford and then you say, oh, I'm going to change someone. These players haven't had the requisite experience needed in a, a friendly game, in a Nations League game to really, you know, punch above their weight. And this is, this is sort of like the argument that happens with the Nations League. Now, I, in principle, agree with it. I, I like that stronger teams are playing stronger teams, weaker playing teams are playing weaker teams. Um, not really raise the raises the standard up but especially during this pandemic period i don't think it's something that should be used but even if, if even if they are taking place with you know more frequency than we'd like it's it's a chance to really switch your things up because they have to know that the nations league and the euro qualifiers are two different things winning the nations league doesn't really mean much Yes, England came close last year. It doesn't mean much in the grander scheme of things. The Euro qualifiers are where you need your best teams. So in the Nations League, just play, just play some other players. Play players like Henderson. These, these, are, these are Premier League players. These are players who are used to playing high pressure day in and day out. You can't tell me that Nick Pope is better suited to handle that pressure. It's like, hmm, I, all of them play in the Premier League. Like, give them a, Just give them a shot. Because I think what also goes against Pickford is that and it's a it's it's a it's a David De Gea problem is not being vocal enough to organize your back line. 
because there seems to be this implicit understanding of where players should be and where things should happen. And if something slips through the cracks, oh, that's a, that's a collateral damage. That's not a system issue. Because Gav Southgate never thinks to seem it's a system issue. He has a personnel to be doing a lot better, and he isn't. Sky Bet currently have Portugal 16 to 1 favourites, and England are the favourites 92. But how much, if I'm going to ask you right now briefly, where do you think, how much do you believe, where do you think Portugal will finish in the Euros? Semi-finals or finals, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty confident because I don't, um, in, in their recent performances, I don't think Germany have, have, the, have the cojones to get the job done, to get the job finished, to polish, polish off teams. And they have incredible players, but they're, they're handicapped by a manager who doesn't want to play their most informed attacker or one of their best def- uh, one of their best center backs and chooses to go with Antonio Rudiger instead um, but i yeah i don't i don't see portugal getting eliminated anywhere before the semifinals or finals where do you where do you consider england might be i i get that the favor- that the uh, call for them to be favorites of the tournament is is something that they will they themselves will rubbish quite quickly but uh, in an actual sense if gareth southgate is to change the formation um, where do you think England might end up? With England, you say if they, if they change the formation, I think they will. I think the public criticism of England's formation is something so wide that Southgate can't ignore. It. And also the fact, I think he might have switched to a back three, partly because he's had Bjorn Chilwell out, so he might want the extra protection. But to briefly say, I think England will reach the quarterfinals and be knocked out of the Euros. I think this is going to be a bit more of a wake-up In classic up. fashion. Yeah, I think this is going to be a bit more of a wake-up call. And I think by the World Cup, they'll have a better chance. But I think England are going to be knocked out of the quarters. And Portugal, on the other hand, looking at the squad, it's really hard to see weaknesses. And I'm not going to give myself the benefit of changing my prediction. Barring any sort of injury... I think Portugal will be runners-up to France on current form. I think France are the only other team I see tiny, barely any weaknesses in. And I just, I think Portugal, they, I don't think Portugal have any weaknesses, but they might not have enough to just fully push them over the line ahead of someone like France. But I would say finalists for Portugal and England a bit more of a disappointing knockout. Well, listeners, uh, there you have it. Our expert call from Alex Barker um, going against the sky bad grain, going against the uh, symbol of patriotism that um, he's supposed to stand for. Back your back your nation, as it's supposed to say. But uh, that's, uh, that's it from us. Um, keep an eye out for our Eurowatch. There is going to be a lot more to talk about. We'll hope the matches keep happening because the way the pandemic lockdown is looking in Europe, we don't know if football might even continue. Uh, But it's going to be an exciting time. It's an exciting time to watch uh, football. You know, it's an exciting time to support your national team. This is going to be an interesting um, national tournament. Tactics are changing. Teams are changing. Uh, Results might stay the same, but you're likely to get a whole round product which everyone can enjoy. And that's that's the beauty of international football. It brings the people together. People tend to start watching football only during the international tournaments. And this is also for you. Um, you know, keep track with us. We will have 
uh, you know, expected lineups, we'll have analysis, we'll have where these teams are going, and we will slowly cover every single team that will qualify because uh, the qualifications are not all complete, and uh, hopefully we should have a clearer picture of who the groups are. Um, and uh, that is it from us. Uh, thank you for listening. Keep an eye out, keep an ear out, and uh, we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.